0: Hello, and welcome to Bostonian Rap. My name is Rachel Meiselman, and you are listening to me on WBCALP 102.9 FM, Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. So we played a little jazz there to get ourselves kicked off. Uh, That was Lost Cat from the album Lost Cat. So... Uh, We're going to go to a quick disclaimer, and then when we come back, we're going to jump right on in. Uh, As always, there is just so much to talk about, so much to unpack. But let's go to that disclaimer. The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or you can email radio at bnntv.org. Okay, so welcome back to Bostonian Rap. Again, you're listening to me, Rachel Meiselman, on lp 102.9 FM, Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. So on the last show, I was talking a lot about antisocial behavior. And I was talking about it, I think, in a rather ironic context, the context of social media, right, uh, that was designed, the social media, the various platforms, to connect people. I, I don't want to use the term bring them together, but just to connect people, uh, certainly uh, to assist people in finding others that have common interests and common goals. And... Really, while it's done that, it's also given rise to behavior that's decidedly antisocial, uh, that is rude, uh, that is disrespectful. And, you know, I, I just I discuss why that is an issue, why that isn't something that we can just kind of, you know, put to one side as, as something, you know, trivial and, you know, in the larger scheme of things, it's not that big of a deal. It, it It is that big of a deal because I find that in this day and age, we can't really, we can't really have discussions. We can't have debates. People don't know how to have a debate. And what's interesting is not this past Saturday, but the Saturday before the, uh, the the previous Saturday, I actually was a judge for high school debaters, and I greatly enjoyed it, and I'll be doing it again very soon. And the reason why I did it is because I think that, certainly at all ages, but I think that, you know, with our youth, I think that we have a great opportunity to inculcate the the importance the significance of critical thinking and 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 encouraging the confidence possessing the confidence to entertain ideas other than one's own i think that that's so 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 crucial in 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 having a society that is healthy uh, that is intelligent, and that is informed. So, you know, that's why I, I devoted pretty much uh, really the vast majority of, of last week's show to that issue because I, I don't think that it's it's a good idea. I don't think it's uh, intellectually gratifying to just really enclose oneself in, a, in an ideological cocoon, yet a lot of people do it. And I discussed people shutting themselves off from others, um, some of those people doing so as elected officials, which I think is particularly egregious because how can you serve your constituency if you're signaling them? signaling uh, to them that you're not prepared to listen to them. Now, I'm always going to say that no one has the right to abuse somebody else. No one has the right to be disrespectful towards someone else. I think that a lot of people do believe that they can say whatever they want uh, online because, as I've so often said in the past, You know, if you don't have to look someone in the eye, you just say to yourself, what's going to happen? All right, I was mean, I was nasty, I was vicious, I was disrespectful, and am I ever going to really run across this person? Who cares? What consequences will there be? And so I think that is an attitude that more than a few, unfortunately, people uh, have had and it's it's yielded or it's given rise to maybe that's a, a more a more precise term, more fitting term in this context. It's given rise to just some ugly behavior. Having said that, I think that public figures, especially elected officials, do not need to be blocking people. I'll be talking about this more as I, you know, I, I, in the months ahead, because uh, in Boston in particular, I mean, not just in Boston, um, but, you know, we are based right here in Boston. A lot of people say, well, I'm in, based in Boston, and then you you talk to that person a little bit more, and then you find out that he or she is somewhere in the suburbs. No, we are right here in Boston. I live, I myself live right here in Boston. I myself am from Boston. I grew up here, went to school here. Uh, so it, you know, it's I, I want to talk, I mean, I'll talk about other municipalities, uh, certainly in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, but I, I will be devoting a lot of time in the months ahead to to uh, to the races that um, that we will have. We will have uh, races uh for the Boston City Council. And I'll say one last thing on the idea of just blocking and just shutting oneself off from others that hold different points of view. If you are an elected official and you're doing this, for me, it's not only disrespectful and you're saying that you're not prepared to represent that person or those people, but you're also saying that you do not want to be held accountable. And that that is, I think, a particularly new and, and disturbing trend. I think that people in general do not want to be held accountable, if I might say so, but I think that there have been a confluence of factors that have allowed people to be very open about their reluctance or even their outright refusal to be held accountable. And I don't like that at all, uh, particularly at a time when people are still feeling, I think, especially raw vis-a-vis the government. And, and, and there's there's a lot of mistrust. There's a lot of mistrust. So, again, I'll be talking about uh, the behavior and what should be expected of our elected officials and, and, and just more broadly what should be expected uh, of ourselves when we interact with people, um, obviously in person, but uh, online as well. I also spoke about my party, I, you know, and, and today I'll, I'll talk a fair amount about that. Let me say this, to be a Republican in Massachusetts is not easy. We're very much in the minority were very small, and I, you know, I've I've spoken a lot about <laughs> the issues. I think that that plague the party I, because I, I want people to understand that there are some people, including myself, that do want to see the Republican Party prosper. And, 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 and we're trying to do what we can, but it's not easy. It's not easy at all. I think that one of the things that, I, well, I think the thing that's really damaging to the party is that people want to frame the Republican Party in in terms of two sides. That's it, two sides. They're, they're two flanks. That's the way they want to describe the Republican Party, and that's the way they want the Republican Party to operate. Let me expound upon that. People want—people— uh, Many Republicans that are active, they want an active and they're doing nothing. How about that? Um, but they they want to function within this this framework that sees these two sides in a never-ending battle. So for the people who thought that with the ousting of Jim Lyons— we could all breathe a sigh of relief and things would return to normal, to a sense of normalcy. <laughs> yeah, right, as if, buckle up. Uh, first of all, let me say this I, I like Kirsten Hughes very much. Um, I mentioned Kirsten because she was the chair prior to Jim Lyons. I like Kirsten very much. I always have. I met her in 2008. Uh, she has been very active and has played uh, important roles, pivotal roles, in, in different campaigns, uh, in different levels of government. She herself, of course, was an elected official for a number of years in Quincy. She was on the uh, the Quincy City Council. Um, She—I mean, I, I, you know, remember listening to her, I was in Quincy— on one occasion, and I was just flipping through the channels. And at the time, you know, Kirsten was still on the council, and I, you know, happened to catch her on, uh, you know, Quincy Access, Community Access, and I just listened to her, and I remember thinking, my goodness, she she really does know the issues. She was able to go really into the minutiae of what most people would consider— you know a very you know unsexy blah kind of issue but it, it but as a city councilor it's an important issue so she was talking about uh i think uh the condition of uh the roads and you know some potholes um but she was really able you know and of course it's not just you know municipal level that that addresses that but certainly it, it is very much an issue that you would expect the city council or a city councilor to be able to talk about and not just kind of just in in kind of a a fleeting or kind of a vague fashion you know so a lot of counselors might kind of talk about Oh well, yes, uh, you know it's it's dangerous, and you know equity and, and and holding a place for black and brown folks and blah blah blah, you know, like and all these like buzzwords, and they don't really say anything. It's just like kind of this word salad. But the reality is, it's it, 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 of course potholes are not aesthetically pleasing, um, but also it's damaging to cars uh it potent it presents a potential uh hazard for uh bike riders for pedestrians uh and, and and it's just it it can have a whole it can uh result in a host of other issues as well um but you you don't often hear a city council who's ready to talk about an issue. That isn't considered, as I said, particularly sexy. yet Kirsten Hughes uh, was doing that. and and she spoke. I mean, it, it, she it sounded like she was actually this was something that mattered to her that she was interested in resolving. And she was able, like I said, to talk about it at length and in and in detail. Uh, I have respect for her education. Um, She went to NYU, New York University, and uh, she's, you know, a professional singer. Uh, She trained in the arts. Uh, She went to law school. Uh, Many people know that as well. Uh, She's a licensed attorney. Uh, So I I have respect. I mean, she could have just tried to make it as as an artist, as a singer, Um, but I I like the fact that she— uh, while she ha- while she has had some success in that area, uh, she also pursued other professional avenues, and uh, she's doing something, of course, with that now as a clerk magistrate in in South Boston, in the South Boston neighborhood of Boston. And I, I just, as I said, I, I respect the many different things that she's done over the years. Um, that having been said, there have been times when I've been very unhappy with Kirsten. Uh, I've even been angry at Kirsten. Um, but through it all, there's always been uh, a respect. And and ultimately, I, I like her. I like her very much. Uh, I, I, think, <laughs> I think I'll probably always have a soft spot for her. Um, I think that Kirsten, uh, she is um, very affable. She's very pleasant. Uh, she's absolutely adorable. And I don't say that to be um patronizing. She really is. She's adorable. She's she's you know, bubbly, she's she's attractive, she's um, she's gregarious. And I think that she could have had a lot more success if she could have just been Kirsten, because I I find that she has the common touch. And I myself, as someone who is is very much no frills, I, I found being around her to be, uh, you know, talking to her, being around her. It was it was, you know, these were comfortable experiences because I didn't feel, that there was any expectation or need to be anything else other than myself. Not that I would have tried to be someone other than myself, but it certainly is nice to be in a situation, particularly a political one, where there are no expectations that you bring someone else to the table other than, yes, yourself. Um, but I say all that, and I had to say uh, all those positive things which are very, you know, Sincere, because, you know, notwithstanding all the good things that I just said, it's, it's not like we were somewhere like at 45 percent, like 45 percent of registered voters were Republican. Not at all. I think, though, under Kirsten, we had, I'm going to say, some of the trappings of a major political party. And that included not being in serious debt. Uh, We had money in the bank. We had money to spend. I think that, to be fair to Kirsten, you know, for a long, long time, the party has functioned as more of a a members-only club as opposed to a political party. And I think that we, you know, a members-only club with a political varnish, right? And I think that we very, very wrongly contented ourselves with holding the corner office, you know, governor and lieutenant governor, and just contenting ourselves with that. And if we could maybe get another constitutional office, oh boy, Um you know, we we abandon urban areas a, a long, long, long time ago. We turn our nose up at unions. We, <laughs> I mean, we just, we basically abandoned, you know, big, you know, large swaths of of, of the population. And then we expect to be competitive. We can't. And, uh, you know, I'll repeat what I've said so many times about the political left. And and I'm not just talking about, this isn't the Democratic Party. This is a particular part of the Democratic Party. They are fearless. They go everywhere. I remember in the, what was it, the last uh, presidential election, it was, was it the, it was, I it could have been, maybe it was 2016, might have been 2020. But I remember seeing Bernie Sanders supporters in Southie, South Boston. Now, South Boston, of course, you know, there are people who are more moderate, you know, leaning leaning left. There are, you you do find that there. But there is a stronghold of people who are more, when I say moderate, I mean, truly moderate and or and or, cons- or conservative right um and so it, it was fascinating to me because well first of all they they were very nice <laughs> they they I mean I chatted with them uh briefly they were very nice but it was interesting for me that they went there and even if it wasn't with the expectation okay we're we're going to you know, we're going to pick up more than a few votes here tonight. It was still, let's just be a presence so that people know that we exist, that that we've been to this spot. Republicans don't do that. And it's not in this state anyway. And it's really, it's infuriating. And what I find very interesting is, you know, they'll look at Republicans like myself who just, you know, interact with different people. And then when they see someone that is not part of this member o- members-only club that is listening to what I have to say, is sympathetic to what I have to say, then if the person has— you know, a profile that's, accepti- uh, you know, pleasing enough or acceptable enough, then what happens, you, you'll you see these Republican operatives reach out to those people. And if those people uh, end up becoming a member of this members-only club that masquerades as a, as a political party, the Re- Massachusetts Republican Party, then they adopt the same... Idiotic offensive attitude that sees them in this this stuck in this framework where they belong to one flank or the other, and and generally, even though I'm very much uh, a conservative, uh, I think that there are a lot. Well, hmm, I was going to say a lot of people who are supposedly the banker baker flank of the party. They, you know, they watch. You know, some of the operatives watch to see who who's sympathetic to what I say. Um, but you know, you have people on the other flank too. Um, and I think that again, it's it, it's this practice adds insult to injury because these people are so unbelievably lazy that they can't. They they want to be a political operative. But they don't want to do the work that's involved. You want to be an operative, then operate, do something, grow the party, bring people in, reach out, talk to people outside your immediate comfort zone. My goodness gracious, otherwise, why are you why are you even standing up and trying to get attention and and be acknowledged in a political context? I mean, it's just I don't get it. and I, and I don't want to get it. And, you know, when these people, some, and it's not everybody in in one one of these flanks or the other one, but you do have a number of people on both of the flanks that that pull this baloney. And, And again, it's adding insult to injury because they're not trying to grow the party. What they're trying to do is grow the number of people that listen to them that are going to do their bidding, that are going to agree with what they say. And I don't have time for that because that's incredibly selfish and that's incredibly egotistical. And people are hurting right now. I spend $40. I don't know what I've spent it on. I spend double that. I don't know what I've spent it on. And I can even say sometimes even triple and you know, I saying, well, gee, what did I spend it on? And 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 that is 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 something that a lot of people are saying. People people are struggling right now. It's not easy. It hasn't been easy. The pandemic greatly exacerbated the situation. So people are dealing with what they had to deal with before the pandemic, times ten because of the pandemic. Now times twenty because of the, uh, the the elevated cost of living, which again was already high. So we need different ideas. We don't need people who are on ego trips, and the only way they can get their their groove on is standing up and, you know, saying, notice me, I'm a political operative, I'm, you know, whatever, whatever, uh, and I've got an R after my name. I think that because our numbers are so low, I mean, we're less than 10% of registered voters in Massachusetts. We're less than, like, 6% in Suffolk County. It's 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 embarrassing. It's extremely embarrassing. So it's kind of if you are going to be a Republican, why would you then do nothing? Why? Let me tell you a little something. I recently reached out to several Republicans and these were people who are operatives or or who have been. At least up until relatively recently, they've been active. So I reached out to them because this year it is, you know, the the Boston City Council races. And I thought, well, gee, we could maybe, you know, make some inroads here. Let's see if we can work together. Let's see if we can recruit candidates, support candidates. No. People didn't return phone calls. Uh, because people aren't interested, they want to be a chair of a ward, they want to be on a state committee, but they don't want to do any of the work that's in ta- that that comes with it. But then these are the same people that if I go and do something and I get attention for it, if I get applause for it, if I and that's not, of course, why you know I do anything. Um, certainly not anything political, but let's just say I do do something and I do get praise for it. That's when these same people are going to criticize me because I didn't reach out to them or because I operate, I'm a lone wolf. Well, she just does her own thing. Well, when I try to reach out to people, they don't want to do anything. They're not interested. So you can't have it both ways. You can't want to be a Republican, stand up and play some kind of role in the party or or play some kind of role in the party or, or enjoy some leadership role as a Republican in the Republican community and not do anything. Literally do nothing. But that's, that's what people do because, like I said, it's become a members-only club. And the only activity that people engage in is arguing amongst themselves. So there is a letter that was signed by Jim Lyons supporters, people who voted for him. They're pretty much all, with maybe the exception There might be like a a few, maybe one or two, maybe a few more. But these are people who pretty much voted for Jim Lyons in in the recent election for the mass GOP chair. And it was, you know, they they put their names to a letter addressed to Amy Carnevale, who is, of course, now the new chair. And they want to know, they want answers from Chairman Carnevale Regarding Patrick Carley, um, the treasurer of the Mass GOP, uh, and, and and really, it's it's not these. The questions in the letter were not questions to understand. They weren't meant uh, to get clarification. Th- there's already a narrative. There's already a belief as to what happened and so this is just this is just a tactic to put amy carnevali on the st- spot and this isn't about defending amy carnevali it's just calling it as i see it i mean if you ask someone a question but it's a leading question you already have a narrative in mind so basically these people want not base I mean these people want to know and by the end of I guess the business day on March 1st so it'll be interesting to see how chairman Carnevale responds but they want to know you know what action what will be the consequence of Patrick Crowley having unilaterally according to them uh you know him having unilaterally shut down uh, the Mass GOP bank account, which had an impact on uh, the party's uh, financial, I should say, the social club, <laughs> uh, financial obligations. And it, uh, of course, further, according to this group, uh, impacted uh, the candidates. And it was further contended that Crowley has not apologized to anybody. Uh, nobody on the committee, no candidate, no elected official, no one. And so they want to know what, if any, are going to be the consequences of what they have deemed unacceptable and egregious, unacceptable egregious behavior on the part of Patrick Crowley. So, again, they already have their narrative they're not looking for answers, as in, I, I don't understand. I want to know more. Um, and as I said, certainly not clarification. This is, this is to, to stick it to Amy Carnavali uh, pretty much as she's coming out of the gate. And, you know, I looked at the list, the names on this list, and I had to laugh because I know a lot of these people. I do. I know a lot of these people. Uh, I don't remember seeing any names that I hadn't heard of before. Um, but there's some people that I actually know. Uh, some people I've met, I've talked to, other people I haven't formally met, but we know each other. Um, and, and I again, I just I can only laugh because you want to fight. Someone on from team that you know you 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 refer to uh amongst yourself as as you know a member of team banker, you know that flank of the party. But these people, what have they done? Let's look at one of the names on the list, Todd uh, Todd Taylor. So Todd Taylor is um what Chelsea city councilor, he recently ran. Uh, For state rep seat, he lost to Jessica Garcia. Thank goodness. (laughs) I mean, don't get me wrong. I doesn't mean that I'm gung-ho about all of Representative Garcia's ideas, but I think that there's an earnestness, and I just—Todd— Todd has had a number of opportunities to open the door for a lot of other people, and he hasn't done that. Now, there are people who might very listen to me and very staunchly disagree and think he's wonderful. And as always, I respect different points of view. And and I'll throw out a challenge. If someone can tell me Something that Todd Taylor has done, he's he's a state committee man. What has he done? Has he done anything? What has he, why don't I do it like this, less accusatory. What has Todd Taylor done to grow the party? Let me know. I want to know. But to my knowledge, he's done absolutely nothing, nothing at all. You know, I saw other names of people. If I were to go around to the Senate districts where these people are state committee men and women, their constituencies would not know who they are. The people in the Senate districts would not know who they are. I bet a lot of people in these Senate districts would not even know that there's that there that there is a republican state committee and all of that makes me sick it makes me sick because you want to stick it to Amy Carnavali coming out of the gate but you haven't done anything to grow the party you haven't done anything to sign people up to vote you haven't done any outreach And several of the names on this list have actively kneecapped other people. And yes, it makes me sick because, again, it's hard enough to run as a Republican and Massachusetts. And it's not even because people aren't sympathetic to some of what we have to say, or maybe even more than some of what we have to say. But we don't have an infrastructure, particularly here. We don't have an infrastructure. We And, and, and those of us who, I mean, I guess at one point, very recently, I mean, the numbers might have declined, but I, if I'm not mistaken, in, in something like in 2020, we might have had like 25,000 Republicans in Boston. Now I'm going to actually go on back and check that number, but that number's not nothing. I mean, I realize it, it's probably not probably it's a drop in the bucket compared to to Democrats, but it, it's not nothing. And people could come together and they could pull together, but they don't want to do that. They don't. People want to keep the numbers small because if they keep the numbers small, then they're big fish. And so that's why a lot of operatives, not all, but that's why a lot of them, all they want to do is pretend that there's this battle, this this ridiculous battle, Uh, pretend that there's a battle, which is ridiculous. Maybe that's how I should phrase it, because there is no battle. There's no battle except battle of the egos. The Republican Party should be one where you have different points of view. Look at me again. I'm conservative. What business is it of anyone else in the Republican Party that I'm a conservative Republican? It's nobody's business but my own. And guess what? If someone is a liberal Republican, how is that my business? There's going to be a spectrum even within a political party. But the idea is that at the end of the day, we coalesce around the core values of the party, which, by the way, are not determined by one person or another. It's about personal freedom and accountability and limited government. These are the key core values of the Republican Party. But people want... Their personal values, and what they think are you know should be the priorities of everyone, because their their priorities, you know, these are the people who are the loudest voices in the room, and they drown everybody else out. You know, the Republican Party has been become a party of of, of jokes, of losers. Jeff Deal wants to blame people for his losses. He didn't even run a race. He didn't have a campaign. He didn't have a platform. I mean, it was, it was incredible to me. <coughs> Jeff Deal ran a race. He had <coughs> no primary game and no post-primary game. But he's angry because he got slaughtered. So you have no campaign strategy. You don't even have a platform. You're going to body surf headlines and then you're going to get angry because you got clobbered. You're going to refer to the gas, you know, tank the the gas tax effort that happened, what almost ten years ago, close to ten years ago. You're going to refer to that as one of the main reasons why you should be elected, why you should be, why you should have the Republican nomination. But you can't talk about anything right here and now. But again, you're going to be upset because you got clobbered, and it's someone else's fault. You have Rayla Campbell, who got up at the state convention, and don't tell me this was off the cuff. It was rehearsed. It was reproved of. Okay? Because the party tried to fundraise off of the events of the state convention. Last year. It was appalling. What Rayla Campbell said on the stage. She should have been shown the door. People should have gotten up and walked out. But we saw how far the party has fallen. Because people were describing it as a rousing. Barnstorming speech. No. It was a vulgar. Stupid woman who got up there and said vulgar, stupid things. There was a rambling speech with a centerpiece of an allegation of a crime that when she was asked to provide substantiating something substantiating it, her claims, couldn't do it. And then she moved the goalpost. And then it became, after the convention, she began to talk about a book that I don't believe that she ever really knew about, but it was brought to her attention by one of her followers. Because I remember seeing an exchange. And then after that, Rayla was like a dog with a bone. It was this book and how it was inappropriate. And they're saying that we don't hear these things, these things don't exist and that these things aren't taught. And it's like, you know what, Rayla, if you want to be an activist, be an activist. And if you want to talk about this now, go right on ahead. But why didn't you talk about it when you were running for Congress? Because it would have made a little bit more sense then. And of course, you could have tied in the fact that you are mother of three young children. Instead, you're going to talk about this, and you're running for Secretary of State. <coughs> and so it was just really, it was, it was just, I, I just, I had never seen anything like it. And it was just a really disturbingly low point for the party. You have Donnie Palmer who gets up there. Donnie Palmer has no business running for anything but the bus. He's a male Rayla Campbell. You have all these people running and standing up for offices that they have no qualifications for. As if we can't make a bad situation worse. You know... Amy Carnevale wasn't my choice. There were other people that I I would have liked to have seen run. I think they would have been great for the party. But Jim Lyons is gone. She's there. And I wish her the best. But I'm going to say what I've already expressed publicly, she doesn't have an easy task ahead of her. I'm not so sure she's going to be the ally that Baker's people think, but I could be wrong. Because I don't see where she has much of a choice if lion's people are going to go after her. And I don't understand them targeting her (coughs) if they're not going to do anything to grow the party. I really don't. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to finish talking about this. We have uh, another, what, like five, six minutes. But like I said, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll wrap up, and there'll be a few takeaway points. If you are struggling to afford internet service for your household, there is a new government program that may be able to help. It's called the Affordable Connectivity Program, and it provides up to a $30 monthly discount to qualifying households. Find more information about the program, including if you qualify, and how to enroll at FCC.gov ACP, or call toll-free at 877-384-2575. That's 877-384-2575. It's time for today's stem tip. Okay, you know recycling is important. No one wants plastic in the ocean. Here's a cool way to repurpose a plastic bottle Build an awesome terrarium. Cut a large plastic bottle in half and fill the base with sand, pebbles, potting soil, and your favorite plant. I chose an African violet. Put the top of the bottle over your base and place it in the sun. Your plant will grow sealed in its own ecosystem. Fun, right? Learn more at SheCanStem. A message from the Ad Council. Are you a veteran or do you know a veteran who is struggling with housing due to COVID-19? Veterans, Inc. can help provide support services, including assistance with rent, deposits, utilities, as well as emergency housing, including hotel stays to eligible struggling veterans. If you or someone you know is in need of services, please call 1-800-482-2565. Or go online to www.veteransinc.org. Hello and welcome back to Bostonian Rap. My name is Rachel Meiselman. This is me on WBCALP 102.9 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. So, have to apologize a little bit, guys. I'm still uh, getting over something. And when I get all fired up, well, my goodness gracious. <laughs> But uh, we'll be able to get through the show. Don't worry. Um, as I said, we have another like four or five minutes left, five, six minutes left. And I do want to kind of wrap up this, this topic. Uh, I didn't talk about it much last week. Uh, I talked about it for like about 10 minutes. And so the idea for me was to really kind of unpack it this week. And I hope, give a perspective that is not often heard, and you don't often see it in print. And I think I know what I'm talking about, because I've been around for a long time. Um, I'm active. I have been to state committee meetings before they were shut down to the public. Hopefully they'll be opening back up now that Jim Lyons is no longer the chair, um, I've been to the national convention as an alternate delegate. Um, I always attend the state conventions, um, either as uh, a, a delegate or a couple times as a guest. But I've, I've attended as a, a delegate, let's see, um, once. Two, so twice, twice as a delegate and twice as a guest. And one of those two times, I. Uh, seconded the nomination of a gubernatorial candidate. So I I, I think that I can talk uh, a bit about the players and I I have something to say. And I just, I'm, I'm tired of the same old, same old. Again, if you are not going to build the party, if you are not going to bring people in not to grow your base within the party, but to actually grow the base of the party, if you're not going to do that, then why are you talking? Why are you standing up and demanding any oxygen? You don't deserve any. I mean, after a certain point, it's time for people to have a seat. I'll give another quick example. This individual, Alex Varys, some people know him as, as, as an activist. He's not on the state committee, but he's, he's been around for a great period of time. I would say this to Alex's face. What have you done? You're always talking about how the mass GOP needs to reach out to the Latino population. Why don't, why don't you start? reaching out to the Latino uh, uh, communities. What have you done to bring Latinos into the Massachusetts Republican Party? What have you done to bring anybody? And this is my point, and he's a Jim Lyons supporter. So you have people at the end of the day in both parts of the party that want to do nothing but complain and 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 argue how their way is the best way forward for the party but they're not moving forward they're staying stuck in place and we got to get over that or we're never going to have a party at all and i'll say one last thing on a quick last note the massachusetts republican party is not just made up of these two flanks there actually happen to be a lot of people who are politically homeless within the Massachusetts Republican Party. I'm going to leave you on that note. I'm going to pick up next week, and we'll talk about other subjects then. But as always, thank you so much for listening, and uh, look forward to hanging out with you next week. The preceding commentary does not reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network.